Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. The rest of you, please turn with me to Acts, as Rick read, chapter 9, the famous passage of Saul's conversion. Have you ever read passages like this or stories of God showing up in these amazing ways and you think, why does he still, why doesn't he do that still? Why won't he show up like that? Like Moses, he gets to see the Lord on Mount Sinai. Israel sees him as a cloud by day and fire by night. They, they see this rumbling on the mountain. They, they're too afraid to even approach it. They see him descend on the temple. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 is taken into the throne room of God where he sees these cherubim fly, or seraphim, sorry, uh, flying and, and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Ezekiel sees this vision of, of God and it's so powerful and so overwhelming that he sits and he's overwhelmed for seven days. The apostles see Jesus transfigured. Our passage today, we see Paul is knocked down and blinded by the glory of God. And I think we think, or we feel, that if the Lord would do this to us, then we would be just as zealous for his mission. And the reason we're not, maybe, is because he's not done that for us. But I want to encourage you this morning I want to encourage you to know that you don't need to be blinded for three days uh, to, for the Lord to use you to build his kingdom. The moment you knew that Jesus Christ was Lord, he started changing you and using you to build his kingdom. And we just have to grow in that mission. And Jesus doesn't call us and say, just become stagnant until I return. He calls us to be part of this great story of redemption. We get to be part of this together as the church. It's a marathon, and a marathon is ran one step at a time, but you cannot complete it if you don't start running. So we're going to begin this morning by looking at how Jesus corrects our mission focus. The first thing we see is that he reveals that we have been working against his kingdom. Jesus corrects our mission focus first by showing us we've been working against him. Look at the text. Look at verse 1 and 2 in Acts chapter 9. But Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he may be found, so if he may find any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The way being Christianity. Paul, thinking, I'm doing the will of God, I'm zealous for the law, I'm going to squash out, I'm going to snuff out this, this movement 
in his zeal for God, he's attempting to stop this, this calling, this man, Jesus, the Messiah. We see, if you just look back at Acts 8, 1 through 3, we see what has just happened. Stephen has been stoned, and, and Saul approves of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But Saul, verse 3, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And later on, he recounts this in Acts 22. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city and educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And again, in Acts 26, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. In raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." We see he thought he was doing the will of God, but we also see a portion of his heart was wrong. I I was trying to make them blaspheme so that I could punish them. I wanted so desperately to squish this movement that I went against the very law I was protecting. He was actually working against the Lord, working against what Christ He reveals to the Pharisees in Luke 11, therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. He's speaking to the Pharisees, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. He says, you've been doing this from the very beginning. You've been working against my plan of redemption from the very beginning, coming against me, what I'm trying to do, killing my prophets. And up to this point, Saul was unable to see Jesus as the Messiah. But at that moment, on the road to Damascus, as he's going to persecute the church, it changed everything for him. The Lord revealed who he was to Saul of Tarsus. He no longer at that time could proceed on the path that he was on for his eyes had now seen Jesus, the exalted one, the king of kings. And he could no longer persecute his people. And look at the text, verses three and four. Now when he went on his way, that's Saul, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Augustine says, this was the head of heaven crying out on behalf of the members who were still on earth. Why are you persecuting me? This is my people. Church, I think a lot of times we forget we are the body of Christ. I think we say, oh, yes, we're the body of Christ, and that's just a synonym for the church, and it really doesn't mean a whole lot to us. It's just another way to say it. But Jesus is saying, I identify with my people. You are my people. I I am in them, and they are in me. He says, this is who we are. 
Colossians 1.18, Paul later, he writes, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is what Jesus was showing Saul. I'm the king, and you're persecuting, you're killing, you're imprisoning, you're chasing out of their homes and out of their countries my people. These are my people. They're precious in my sight. Reflective of Zechariah 2.8, where the Lord of hosts, he's, he's sent to the nations who are plundering him. He says, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. He says, these are my people. I love my people. He says, you're persecuting the way, but I am the way. You're persecuting me. Now you and I must understand before everything, before salvation, everything that we did was against the kingdom of God. Our passions, our desires, our goals, not even, not one of them were focused on building up the kingdom of God. They were all focused on building up the kingdom of us. Whatever, it it might even look good, but it was not about God's kingdom. It was not about his glory. It was about us. It could have been financially, it could have been physically, it could have been our safety or our family, whatever, but it was all focused on our desires and what we wanted. And Jesus warning the people in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather is scattering. Do you know this is who you were before salvation? Do you realize this is the aim of my life was, was selfish. It was about me. I didn't even think about the kingdom of God. I didn't even care about the kingdom of God. Do you understand that you were his enemy? But then we read in Romans this, this beautiful passage, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners or enemies of God, Christ died for us. The road to Damascus, he looks at Saul and says, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, poured out his grace on him. And once we've received that grace, our mission starts to become synonymous with his mission. Not perfectly. We start thinking, man, I want to glorify God in my marriage, with my kids, when I'm at work. Everything I do, whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, I want to glorify God. My desires start looking like his desires instead of my selfish desires. So Jesus corrects our our vision by showing us who he is. And he corrects our mission focus by revealing he's the one that's on the throne and, and we're not. That might be groundbreaking for some this morning. You're not on the throne. (laughs) Look at verse five. And Paul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He says, I am Jesus. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Fully man and fully God. I'm the resurrected Christ. I'm the Savior. Saul thought he was just another man trying to start another revolt. He was just working against the Jews. But in this encounter, he's shown this is who 
the Messiah is. This is who we've been waiting for our whole being as the Jewish people. From the very beginning, we've been waiting for him. And immediately, he's broken. On the road, he's broken. In an instant, he, he knows I was wrong. And I've committed the deepest of treasons against the one true God. But has shown mercy. He could have stomped him out and stopped his movement right there. But instead, he shows him grace. He shows him love. And the trajectory of Paul's life, Saul's life, is changed forever. It's never the same. Have you come to that realization, that, that ground-shaking, um, humbling realization that Jesus Christ is the King of kings? Have you realized that you're not the king of your life? But you're either bowing down to the true king, Jesus, or to another king, which is actually an idol. Look at verse 6. But rise, Jesus says, and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Jesus gives him a command. I want you to notice here with me, he doesn't say, he doesn't make a suggestion. I think it would be good for you to go. I think, you know, what do you think about this, Paul? Uh, do you want to hang out and go this way or that? He doesn't ask him what he thinks. He doesn't even ask him if he wants to follow him. He just gives him a command. Because the command of the king, <laughs> when he gives a command, everyone listens. No matter what we think about uh, the, what the command is here, if, if the king gives a command, you do it. He's the one that tells the ocean, this is how far you get to go, we read in Job. This far you shall come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. At his command, light came forth. It obeyed. It didn't say, nah, we'd rather have darkness. Animals were created at his word. Stars were breathed out of his mouth. Mountains exploded out of the ground. You and I are breathing right now because of his command that we get to do that. Jesus even gives commands and the demons immediately obey. Even the ones who hate him obey. And at the moment, we understand that Jesus is the Lord God Almighty. He's the Messiah. He's the hope of all the nations. We should be saying every day, why would I go anywhere else? Why would I follow anyone else? Even though I fail, I know he's the king, and I want to know him, and I want to know his word, and I want to obey him. And that should humble us, just like it humbles Paul. Look at verse 9. Actually, we'll go to 7 through 9. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Broken, 
humbled. At that moment, overwhelmed. This Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous, dragging folks out of their home, kicking them out of their country. He is quiet before the Lord. Low before the Almighty God. Just as Isaiah, as he walks in the throne room and God reveals himself to him and he says, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. I'm ruined. Just like Ezekiel as he's sitting there overwhelmed for seven days. I just can't wrap my mind around this. Saul understood immediately what Jesus meant in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He immediately knew, I've messed up. I'm standing before the king. Have you been humbled by who Jesus is? Or have you only seen him as this gentle, passive teacher who only loves and is never offensive. Because even though he is gentle and he is lowly, he's God who deserves all glory and praise. And in the state of humility, the Lord starts to build us back up. He doesn't knock us down and say, yeah, I'm Lord. He says, I'm gonna start making you look like me now. I'm removing all of the junk that makes you not look like me and I'm building you up so that you do look like me, so that you actually do reflect me, so that you look like the king. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who realize that they're not capable of saving themselves. They're not capable of living for God apart from his immeasurable grace. Blessed are those who live totally and completely uh, dependent on him. Theirs are the kingdom of God. Now even though Paul has this dramatic encounter and the trajectory of his life is never, ever the same, he's not perfect. He doesn't knock it out of the park from there on. He even says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But this focus was set, his focus was set on the mission of God. I know I'm a sinner, he says. I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know I'm not going to live perfectly. But I know Jesus came to save sinners. I have a great hope. And because I have this great hope, I can set my life on mission with him. I've been crucified with Christ, he says. I, it's not I that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not in my awesomeness, but in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At the time that you said, Jesus is Savior, he's my Lord, I believe with my heart, you're also saying I'm dying to myself, I'm dying to my desires, I'm dying to my kingdom and my passions, and I want to live for Christ. 
Are you going to do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But when you fail, you know you can return to the king and receive forgiveness. And not only receive forgiveness, but power to move forward. Power to look like the king. He's with you. He reminds you that. Every time you fail, every time you fall down, he says, he's not, you idiot, I can't believe you fell down. He's saying, get up, I'm with you. Even to the end of the age, I'm making you look like me. And as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, we grow in our willingness to do whatever he asks, and he calls us to participate with him, to be on mission with him. Look at the text. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight to the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he had seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard, of many, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem, and, and he, here he is with the authority of the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said, go. He's my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. We have to, or we're called to participate with Christ. The first thing we need to realize is I need to know how to recognize his voice. Ananias knew his voice. It says in verse 10, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Now, if you look at Paul, he sees him in a vision. He says, who are you? I don't know who you are. But Ananias knew Jesus' voice. The, the moment he calls him in that dream, the moment he comes to him, his immediate response is not, who are you? But here am I. What do you need? How did he know the voice of the Lord? He was his disciple, there was a disciple at Damascus, verse 10, named Ananias. He followed Jesus. Maybe he knew him personally. Maybe he was one of the 500 that we read of in 1 Corinthians that the Lord revealed himself to after the resurrection. But regardless, he knew his voice. We know later on in Acts 22 that Ananias is this devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who live around him. He's following the Lord. He's pursuing the Lord. That's why he knows his voice. He was ready and willing to obey because he knew his voice. He knew whatever you're asking me to do is going to be good. Even though I don't really get it, I trust you. Because you're the Lord. Why wouldn't I? Jesus spoke of this in John 10. He's at the time of the feast, the dedication took place in, in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? And Jesus says, I told you. And you do not believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is why Saul didn't recognize Jesus' voice. He wasn't following Christ. He didn't believe he was the Messiah. He had read and he'd understood the law of God. He had zealously pursued righteousness, but he didn't know the Messiah. He rejected the Messiah until Jesus opens his ears, until he reveals himself to him. He does not know him. So how do we know God's voice? First and foremost, by being part of his body, by being part of the universal church, that you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that he has died for your sin, and you can hear his voice. This amazing work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's not a a work that you've done just as Jesus reminds Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because he just reveals him as the Christ This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. Just in your confession of faith that Jesus is Lord, you have already started hearing his voice because he is the one that helped you say that, to know that, to understand that. And as we read the word, his voice starts to get more and more clear. And we grow familiar with what he desires and what he loves and what he hates and how he loves and how we are to love. We learn his will and how perfect it is and how messed up ours is. We know his voice by listening to his spirit as we read and as we pray and reflect. We are promised that he gives us the spirit that will lead us and guide us and counsel us and teach us. And the more you know him, the more zealous you become for his mission, but check your understanding. Ananias does. I mean, he's standing there in a vision, the Lord's talking to him and he says, I mean, I know you're God and all, do you know about Saul? Like, he's a bad dude. You really? You want me to go? And he's not being disrespectful, he's showing his concern. He's saying, I'm anxious about this. I'm, I very well may die if I go and do this, just making sure, didn't have wax in my ears. I want to make sure that's what you said. This is what Paul means in Philippians when he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart's and your mind's in Christ Jesus. Bring it to him. He brings his anxiety to him and says, are you sure? And he gets his answer. Go. Go do what I'm telling you to do. We're so often so anxious. We, don't, we never step out in faith. We're so often bogged down with, what, what if this is not the will of God? What, what if I get it wrong? What if this... What if this, what if this, we can have a never-ending list of what ifs so that we don't step out in faith, but God doesn't have this secret mission for you to unlock when you become super spiritual. He makes it very clear what we're supposed to do. It's presented to us in the word of God. He shows us, this is what you're supposed to look like. 
This is how you're supposed to go. And it's amplified in our hearts by the Spirit. The more we hear him, the more clearly we hear him. So I know you want three easy steps, right? Here they are. How do you know if you're on mission with Jesus Christ? Step one, pray. Pray. We see that in Ananias. Lord, (laughs) really? Lord, I believe this is what you're asking me to do. It seems crazy. It seems really out of the ordinary. I'm going to need your help. I need guidance. I need clarity. I need you to even give me faith to, to move beyond this prayer. Your life should be a constant prayer, day in and day out. Breathe in, breathe out prayer. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom in this conversation that I'm about to be in. Would you guide me as I go to work today? Would you help me love like you love? Would you give me patience while I'm doing school? Would you share with me your image? Help me to share your image. Help me to look like you. It should be a constant prayer. Martin Luther, he says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than being alive without breathing. We have to pray. We have to pray. That's step one. Step two, does this follow the great commandments? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the, first, the great and first commandment. The second's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Am I on mission with the Lord? Am I doing what he's calling me to do? Does it make me love him more? Does it make me look like him more? Does it make me follow him more? And does it help me to love my neighbor? If not, get rid of it. If it doesn't fall in those two categories or, or adjust it, if I, if I am not loving God more through what I'm doing, if I am not loving my neighbor more by what I'm doing, then it's wrong. It's not following his mission. Step one, pray. Step two, does it follow the great commandments? Step three, you should know this. Does it follow the great commission? Go therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If what I'm doing is not leading me to make disciples, to tell people of Jesus, to teach others what he taught, it is probably not aligning with the mission of God. Everything we, should, everything we do should be working toward the glory of God, should help people see him more and more. And as we have seen all throughout Acts, there's a level of suffering that comes with following the Lord It's not all sunshine and roses. You might be called to suffer like Ananias, suffer suffer for the gospel by being obedient even when it doesn't make sense at first. Suffering by laying down your anxiety, saying, I'm really nervous about this. I am really afraid about this, but I trust that you love me. I trust that you care for me and you you protect me and you're with me. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do what you're calling me to do. Maybe some of you are called to suffer like Paul. I hope not. (laughs) He suffered a lot, but the Lord says to him, go, he's my chosen instrument. 
the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for, my, for the sake of my name. You can read the list of what, how Paul suffered. But you might be called to head out to suffer physically, mentally, spiritually for the gospel. The church in Ukraine right now is suffering physically for the gospel. Missionaries all over the world are suffering like Paul, beaten, martyred for the sake of Christ. In fact, before you leave today, there's, there's booklets, and I want everyone to leave with one, or at least every family to leave with one. It's how to pray for the, the persecuted church. It's 52 weeks. We're going to pray together for 52 weeks. That's a year, seven days a week. How to pray for them. We'll start tomorrow. Um, praying together for the persecuted church. It's a very easy guide. Please leave with one and pray for the church. But just because you're not called to suffer like that, like the persecuted church, or you might not be called to suffer like that, that doesn't mean you're not called to suffer for Christ. We suffer in obedience by laying down our own desires and following the Lord. We suffer financially by giving to the mission of Christ. We suffer in prayer and fasting. We suffer by sharing the gospel when it's uncomfortable. We suffer by loving our enemies and by discipling one another and giving up a piece of my week to be with someone else and encourage them. And we should all at this point feel pretty insignificant for this mission. <laughs> I can't do that. I, I don't know how to do that. I should, you should feel incapable, but then Jesus promises to empower you for this mission. He doesn't say, all right, good luck. He doesn't tell that to Paul. He doesn't tell it to any of the disciples. He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. I am helping you. I'm actually, it's better for me to leave because I get to send you my spirit, and he's going to be in every one of you, and he's going to help you to do what I've called you to do. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and he laid his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight be filled with the Holy Spirit. He regains his physical sight. He was actually blind. Couldn't see anything. But the grace of God allowed him to sit in silence for three days and think about what he's done. It's like the ultimate timeout. Some of us parents are like, man, if I could just blind my kids for three days. Don't do that. Bad parenting. <laughs> we could all use some spiritual, physical blinding for our spiritual good. We could all use that, but the Lord doesn't often operate in that way. However, we can learn from Paul's experience that in his being blind, he is sitting there and praying for three days, thinking about and contemplating the Spirit or the Lord and who he is and what he has done. And that alone should empower us for the mission of Christ. But Jesus gives a spiritual sight. He promises in Luke 4, 18 and 19. He's not just talking about giving people physical sight. He, the spirit of the Lord, he says, is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He gives us spiritual sight. We are able to see, yes, I, I was a sinner. I wasn't following the Lord. I was working only for my own kingdom. But he also gives us the ability to see salvation and his grace and his mercy. He helps us to understand his word. Open my eyes, David says, that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. He says, I, I will. You pray to me when you read, and I will help you understand. Matthew 13, 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. He, church, understand, if, if you know Jesus, if you understand the Bible, that is a gift of God. You are blessed by him. He is working with you. Don't take for granted that you have ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus gives us also eyes to see the need around us. We should no longer be focused inward. We should be focused outward. We now see that others are blinded by sin and I should have grace with them. The reason they act like they do is because they're blinded by the God of this world. Eyes to see others need salvation. Eyes to see others need help in understanding the word and need help in life in general. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. Look back at the text. Brother Saul, verse 17 the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has, come, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul could not accomplish his mission apart from God working with him. The disciples, the apostles could not accomplish their mission apart from the Lord empowering them by his spirit. You will receive power. Remember, he said, don't go anywhere. Don't leave Jerusalem, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You cannot do this apart from me, he's saying. We certainly can't. If the apostles and Paul could not do this apart from the Holy Spirit, we certainly cannot. And if you're that personality that thinks you can, you can't. You'll mess it up one way or another. I don't care how charismatic you are or how, how great of a leader you are. If you try to accomplish the will of God apart from him working in you, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But the Lord gives us spirit so that you can accomplish his will. So that you can lead your family so that you can pray for your unbelieving spouse, so that you can lead a Bible study, so that you can love your neighbor by helping them with whatever they need, so that you can be a godly boss, so that you can be a godly employee, so that you can share the gospel, so that you can invite someone to church or include them in a Bible study, or so that you can have them over for dinner and just show them the love of Christ. He empowers you to do that. Paul tells us, you have not been given a spirit of fear. 
You have not been given a spirit of fear of what people will think of you or what harm is going to come to you or how you are going to fail, but of power. The same power that he's talking about in Acts 1.8. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if we think, well, that's not enough power, then we don't understand what that power is. But we've been given that power, and this is the word of God. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit? If so, start praying that God will display that power in your life, that he'll move you into whatever he's calling you to do, and then believe that he's going to do it. We've been given a spirit of love, so that we love God and love others. We've been given a spirit of self-control, not selfishness, but self-control. And we're empowered by spending time with the disciples. Look at the text. And immediately something, verse 18, like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and he was baptized Taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Sometimes I feel like every week I'm saying the same thing. (laughs) Be with the saints, read your Bible, believe in the Lord. But I am. (laughs) I am. I'm saying the same thing. We have to gather with the saints. We need the saints. We need to be with one another. We need to come regularly on Sunday morning. We need to be in small groups. We need to meet one-on-one. We have to learn from another because that's God's design. He doesn't put anyone by themselves. We're not strong enough individually. Satan is much stronger than we are. The world is much stronger than we are. Our passions and our flesh and our desires are stronger than we are. The flesh is weak, but we find strength in the body of Christ. And as the Lord is pouring into us to empower us with all of these things and his spirit and the church and he's not with us and his promise and his word and what starts coming out of us is obedience to his mission. We start proclaiming Jesus. Look at verse 20. Immediately, Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. That's what starts coming out of us. As we know Jesus, that's, we tell people he's the son of God. We start using our testimony. He starts using our testimony. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed. Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those whom called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound for the chief priest? And what they hear back is, he's saved by grace. God's changed his heart. He is here to proclaim the gospel. He's no longer persecuting the church. He's completely flipped around. God uses your testimony. This is where you were. People will say, isn't that person? Didn't they look like this? Weren't they doing this and that? He saved us. Wasn't that person always angry? Wasn't that person always drunk? Wasn't that person always a jerk or always selfish? But now they're talking about Jesus and loving people. Why? 
because he turned a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He can change anyone. And we continue to grow. Verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. If you're here this morning and you realize I've, I've never really come to terms that I've been living against the kingdom of God, but this morning you realize that. I have. I know that's true of me, but I desire to follow Jesus. Come talk to me or one of the elders this morning. We want to tell you of the grace of Christ. Believer, maybe you have realized this morning you have not been on mission with Jesus. You have no desire to tell people about him or invite people to hear about him or participate in his church. They're a bunch of weirdos and you just do it on your own. I call you to repent this morning. Your actions are warning signs that you may not actually believe what you say you believe. Perhaps you've been disconnected from the church. You've been cut off from the fellowship. You're not discipling and you're not being discipled. You're not in a small group or meeting regularly with someone. or You're not even regularly attending church. I call you to repent this morning with the power of the Holy Spirit. Follow him. Change today. I pray that not one of us leave here today looking like we did when we walked in here but that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to complete the mission he sets before us. Let's pray. I said, let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace that we were all your enemies. We were working against you. We were we were just focused on ourselves. But you, in your love and your mercy, you displayed yourself to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and you turn us around. And we don't have a righteousness of our own, we have your righteousness. And we don't have the ability to follow you, but you give us that ability. Father, I thank you. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that they would deep down in their hearts and in their minds and their spirits that that you would increase their faith. Help them to believe that you are with them. That they are a temple of the one true God. God, we need your help. We can't do this mission apart from you and really we don't want to. So help us in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. 
Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.